So if you would, we're going to read, uh, as, uh, we're going to read, put it all together, we're going to start at verse 10, and uh, today we're going to be just focusing in on verse 17, and then we're going to uh, stop there. Ephesians 6, starting at verse number 10, it says this, Finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against the evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandal with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray one last time. Thank you, Lord, that we have been given the tools, the armor, uh, the armaments, Lord, to stand firm against the attacks of the devil. Lord, we know that many people in this room have been under all sorts of attack, even this week, God, maybe even this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, as we open your word, it would be uh, salve to our souls. Thank you for those who are serving God, who are diligently giving God and leading in different ways that our church can make an impact on this community. God, we give you thanks and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you, guys. For the last several weeks, we've explored the enemies of our faith. We've looked at the armor of God, and uh, we've actually seen how we can stand against the attacks of the enemy. We've seen that, uh, that we're called to take this defensive stance against Satan, uh, Satan's attacks. But we're called to stand firm and hold on to the power of God. Remember, the armor we put on is the armor of Christ. So we put on Christ's armor. We put on God's armor. We are not manifesting or making armor for ourselves, but we're really trusting in the power of the Lord. As we come to the close of this series, we have one more message left. We see that the Lord has given us a helmet and a sword. Of course, no armor will be complete without having a helmet and a sword to rely on. So we see these as both defensive and offensive weapons. We see these both things happening simultaneously in this passage. The helmet of salvation guarding our minds against the lies and the attacks of the evil one. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is utilized to cut through the lies of the evil one. To tear down strongholds and tear through the unseen enemies of our faith. In fact, one of the things that I wanted to add in here in my notes that I didn't, but just want to kind of thinking about, even as I was pondering and meditating on this this morning, for us as believers, we have to be careful that we're not looking to people who misalign the Scripture who actually don't know the Bible. What I mean by that is this. It's easy to, for somebody to come up and say, see, look at this contradiction. See, look at this and look at that. But here's the thing. Why are you worried about it if you don't believe the Bible in the first place? But what ends up happening is because we're not rooted and grounded in the word of truth, somebody comes along and tells you something that sounds so fantastical. Is that a word? I don't even know. But it, is it? Okay. So they tell you something that sounds so fantastical, and then all of a sudden you take it in and say, see, the Bible can't be trusted. 
I had somebody uh, text me this week, you know, and I, I won't say the name, they texted me this week, and I was talking about a person that was telling them, uh, yeah, see, the Bible took this out and took that out and everything like that. Well, here's the thing. You got to be careful when people are part of cults. They'll lie to you about anything. And then they'll try to make you feel like you don't know what you believe. Why? Because it's a, it's a scheme of the devil to get you off-rooted in your faith. And then all of a sudden you're looking around saying, man, well, can I really trust in the Lord? Well, I'm here to tell you, my brothers and sisters, yes, you can. I want to tell you something. You don't have to turn to African spirituality or this whole idea of the spiritual universe and all these, these conundrum of things that try to weigh you down to secure you in your faith. No, you can go right to the Word of God that will sustain you and keep you. In fact, you can turn to the Word of God that has sustained us for millennia. Yeah. See, they won't tell you about Frederick Douglass and different people like that who were believers, by the way. Marcus Garvey, different ones who were believers, by the way. But no, see, and why am, I, why am I engaging this? It's because of the context we're in. And sadly, so many of us, especially a lot of our young African-American uh, believers who were in the church and grew up in the church. And here's the thing. I, I'm not going to apologize because I'm not doing it. But I would just say this. I feel sorry that you didn't get to experience maybe robust biblical teaching that actually engaged you with the questions that you had. But just because you didn't get that don't mean you can't get it right now. Uh, well, you know, I, I just won't go to church anymore. Why not? You were part of a bad church. Okay, it happens to us. Find a good one. Then get yourself in the scripture and find somebody who can teach you rightly how to divide the word for yourself. And then somebody from the pulpit that is actually not shucking and jiving you, as they used to say. For our younger folks, that means, you know, they, they playing you. Did I use that right, my older generation, shucking? That was good? Okay. All right. I'm just checking. All right. Okay. They're not keeping it 100. Why are we talking about this? It's because... The Word of God is powerful. It is powerful to us and is alive. We're going to see this here. We see this idea of the Word of God and salvation coming together, the, the two things that the evil one fights against the most. For the believer, the enemy tries to make you doubt your salvation and make you believe that it's something you can lose. For the unbeliever, he does his best to blind and deceive you and Deceive you to see that it is Christ who offers you faith. Yet even with the word of God, the evil one fights against the truth with lies, causing the Christian to reject the word of God as the foundation for life, faith, and practice. So today I only have two points. Say two points. So I'm just going to go super short. Okay. You're like, man, stop lying up there. Really. Stop lying. Okay. Here's the first point. Guard your mind with the hope of your salvation. Guard your mind with the hope of your salvation. Look what the text tells us again. It says, take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. 
If we go back to the start of the book of Ephesians, we see the Apostle Paul laying out, laying out for us the, the great treaties of our salvation and what Christ has done and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes about our shared salvation in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It tells us, for we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. You see that? Our salvation is from Christ. It's nothing we can boast about, so we can't work or earn our way up to it. It is from the Lord alone. It's Christ alone. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So you see that right there. We're saved by grace through faith. It is a gift. And the works we do, they are a result of our saving faith. Not so that we can earn saving faith. So our salvation accomplished by Christ alone. There's finished work on the cross. cross. And as we often talk about God loving the world, we understand his love was shown through giving his unique son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So our faith and trust in him alone is how we are forgiven, how we are justified, how we're made right with the Father. Any uh, system that tells you it is Jesus and is a system of works. So any system that tells you it's Jesus plus your field service, it's Jesus plus you praying to the saints. It's Jesus plus the sacraments. It's Jesus plus this. There is, you know how there's Disney plus? There is no Jesus plus. It is Christ alone. He is so sufficient, you don't have to add a plus to his name. But we like to do that. We want to say, well, you know what? If I can just add myself onto it. You can't add yourself onto anything he's done because he outclasses us all. So I want to ask you the question, well, what is the gospel? Well, our answer should come right from the scripture. The gospel is the good news of Christ. The good news that is Christ. And this good news is the gospel that Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life. He lived in perfect obedience to God, not uh, for his own well-being, but for his people. And he has done for us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Not only lived this perfect life, he lived this perfect life of obedience. He offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and the righteousness of God. We're saved from what? From the very wrath of God. We stand there in awe of what Christ has done for us. And if we look back in the book of Isaiah, we see the Lord in his armor is what we're truly putting on. In Isaiah 59, 17, it says this. He put on righteousness as a body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. So we see even here, the prophetic words of Isaiah, they're being applied even here in Ephesians that we're putting on the armor of God. Notice, our Lord gives us that which we cannot earn or purchase on our own. We don't have the ability to build a suit of armor to stand against the attacks of the evil one. No, we're in need of the armor of the one who is greater than us. So just as David couldn't wear Saul's armor, it was too big, it was too clunky, so we can't wear any other armor either. We wear the armor that God provides for us. 
Yeah, think of this as well. We can't provide salvation to ourselves. He gives us salvation. He gives us the, the grace. He gives us these things. It's the Lord alone who saves us and keeps us, who has redeemed us. A Roman soldier, which Paul uses as an illustration here, would not wear a helmet all the time. They would put on the helmet when going into battle to protect them from life-damaging blows from an enemy sword. This helmet was made of bronze. It would fit over their heads, but also cover the side of their ears as well. It was meant to protect their head. It was meant to protect them from damaging blows that would come from a broad side of a sword. This idea of salvation is based on what Christ has done. And when we put on that helmet, it's protecting our thoughts, protecting our, our focus on the Lord alone, this work being finished. Remember, in Christ, we're seated in heavenly places based on what he has done. This should give us a, a, an immense relief to say that, you know what, I can't muster it up. I can't seat myself where he is. I can only trust in what he has done for me. We're saved through grace, through, by grace through faith in Christ alone. And what do we mean when we say this finished work of Christ? Well, that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. So when we talk about the finished work of Christ, we're saying that his work was sufficient. It was enough. When he cried, it is finished, that it was sufficient. Now those who trust in what he's done receive forgiveness. They receive eternal life. In fact, Acts 4.12, I love this passage of scripture. There's salvation and no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now think about it. If the Bible is telling us, and Jesus himself affirmed what this is saying, that there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved, then we would have to say Jesus by him being Lord and God and the resurrected king, him saying, I'm the only way, the truth, and the life, the scripture affirming that, guess what, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, that means you cannot be a Christian and something else. Follow where I'm going with this. You cannot say I'm a Christian and a Buddhist at the same time. You can't be a Christian and a Muslim at the same time. You can't be a Christian and Hebrew Israelite at the same time. No, it is Christ alone. It is trusting in him alone. I will go a step further and say this, according to the scripture in 1 John, if you're in a, a, a faith uh, position or you're a part of maybe even in your family that where they have taken on this position to say Jesus was not God, you don't have the real Jesus. You have a counterfeit and how do we know it was a counterfeit? Because of all the works you have to do to earn your way up to salvation. Now remember, we're talking about theological positions here. Sometimes we get uncomfortable because it says, man, pastor, if you're talking about this, you're talking about people. Well, we're talking about theological positions. This is what we're saying. We're dealing with the reality of what people believe. So, for example, take, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses. They would hold and affirm and say and knock on your door and say, yeah, we believe the same things. Well, 
the question would be, do we really? Because from their perspective and from their misinterpretation of the Scripture, as they have misinterpreted the whole Bible, that's why they have their own translation, which was brought to court, and they were found that they were lying about the Greek and uh, uh, Hebrew scholars, that they didn't even know Greek or Hebrew, that they themselves replaced Jehovah in the Bible 237 times, where it was seen as Lord. Yeah, very convenient for your position. No, we don't believe the same thing because they affirm that Jesus is not divine. But we would say, no, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, and that his sufficient sacrifice was enough. Your field service won't save you. You can knock on a million and one doors, and guess what? To the Lord God Almighty, it's as if it is but filthy rags. We're found in Christ alone. Righteousness in Christ alone. That is it. You know why Christians get in so much trouble? Because of what I just said. This is why people like William Tyndale were, were burned at the stake. This is why we have people all throughout the Reformation. This is why you have people who stood on the authority of the Scripture and will always be hated. But if you identify with Jesus... It comes with the territory. Listen to what I'm saying, my brothers and sisters. This is not us saying we despise a group. This is not us saying we, we hate a group. This is saying, no, if we're called to rightly divide that which is true, wouldn't you want to know that which is true and not a lie? No, Jesus lived, came and lived and died so that we could have eternal life. He didn't come, live, and die so that we can become rich or our lives can be trouble-free or that we'd be absolved of all struggles. No, he came so that we may have life everlasting, abundant life, living in us now and in the future to come. So the helmet of salvation reminds us of the hope we have in Christ. It keeps the hopeless hopeful and secures, and secures a believer in the finished work of Christ. It reminds us of the security that we have in him. That he has obtained that which we could not. And what he attained was our salvation. And it was done through the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And he died for us. And so no matter if we're alive or if we die, that we're in him, we're secure, and we'll live together with him eternally. So keeping on the helmet of salvation is the body armor that keeps us secure. When the lives of the enemy comes and it tells us that we're not his, our salvation, our security in Christ reminds us that while we're in the battle and while the enemy may be lying to us, guess what? We're secure that we're in him alone. And when we're under attack, we're rooted, we're encouraged, and we keep focused on Christ. Now, you may say, well, pastor, what does this look like? Well, in the life of the believer, it can look all sorts of different ways. It's when you're struggling and wrestling, and all of a sudden, the devil comes along and says, see, you're not really saved. It's when you lose your temper at your spouse or your kids, and all of a sudden, the devil comes along with a lie and says, see, if you're a real Christian, you wouldn't do that. 
It's when all of a sudden you're happening and, and you're we're having a good day the day before, but then the next day all seems like everything breaks loose on your life and all of a sudden you don't read the Bible, you don't pray and all this stuff going on. And now the devil comes in and says, see, if you are truly saved, you will be doing much better. But when you put on that helmet of salvation, it says, no, despite if my day is good or bad, I am in Christ. And I'm following after him no matter if my life is going good or if it's going bad. How do we know this? In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8, it says this, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. When we have on this helmet of salvation, it gives us hope in Christ. It keeps us hopeful. It keeps us encouraged. Why? Because of what Christ has done. My brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. I know the world is going crazy around us. I get it. And some of us are so engulfed with everything. Look, you know everything that's going on in the White House. You know everything's going on. And look, there's some of us like that. Praise God. More power to you. But let me tell you something. If you have gotten so engulfed to where now you are so fearful and worried about what's going on as if God is not in control, you have gotten off. Not only that, if your eschatology has you so fearful instead of hopeful, you need to change your eschatology. An eschatology that we should have as Christians should be one that is so immensely hopeful. Why? Because the day approaches where our salvation draws near and near. Today we see a departure from the faith by many people. And the devil comes in and deceives and lies to many people. And it's a hard truth for us to accept that those who depart from the faith, sadly, were often not of the faith to begin with. It's a hard thing for us. It's like, man, I saw how, how solid they were and I saw this kind of thing. But we really see the reality of believers persevering until the end, con continually trusting in the Lord. Understand this. It's not that we're just saying, well, you know, they were, not, they were not of the faith anyway. It's not us saying that, well, we're throwing up our hands or like, we don't care. But it shows us that salvation is not based on what you do. It's not based on the knowledge you have. But it's a work of God by the Holy Spirit, by God the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of men and women. My brothers and sisters, in this day and age, if you want to know what the devil is doing, you say, I know what it is, Pastor, it's coronavirus, it's, it's, it's the political thing, it's, it's all this kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you what the devil's doing. He is deceiving enough of us to be so consumed by all these things to where we're swept away. And when we look around, we're like, how did I get so far from the shore? I can tell you how you got so far from the shore. Because you're not rooted in the word of God first, and your first priority is not the salvation you have in Christ. I challenge you with this. In the last 18 months, has this time of, of pressing and testing and tumultuousness around you, has it pressed you more to be more gospel-centered and evangelistic? I'm just going to be real with you. And in the last 18 months, you haven't even thought one thought of all your thoughts. Man, look how horrible things are. And look at what Washington's doing. And look at what this and the coronavirus and all this. And you've not taken even one step, one iota to share the gospel with one person. 
is your hope really in Christ? Because the hope of the world is not a cure for COVID. The hope for the world is not if all these political people get it all right. The hope for the world is Christ alone. I already know. You, what, you, you just, you don't care about COVID. You don't care. I'm not, look, come on, we got to parse something. You can walk and chew gum at the same time, can't you? It's not saying we don't care about these things. What I'm saying is our greatest priority is the kingdom of God. If you're being attacked by the evil one. Maybe there are questions that you need to answer. Maybe there are things that you are wrestling with. Where do we turn? We turn to the word of God. We turn to God's word. So we stand on salvation. We secure ourselves in the salvation that we have in Christ. You know, look, I'm going to tell you guys this story real quick. I'm just going to take my time today. A couple years ago, I was, I was like 20, 22. I was armed robbed in a store I was working in. And I remember, you know, you have the whole life flashing before your eyes kind of thing. Gun to your head, all this stuff. It really happened. And I remember I, I was still, I was, you know, I had been saved a couple years and stuff like that. And, you know, those kind of moments kind of like either shake up your faith or really draw you more to the Lord. And it drew me more to the Lord because I was like, man, I almost died you know, near-death experience. I'm like, heaven is real. You ain't got to tell me. But you know what happened in that moment? I was working for a company, and I was armed robbed and stuff like that, and we had this inter-office email. It was like inter-mail. It was like before they had, like, all the emails. You could BCC people and stuff like that. It was like one little software thing we had. And I was like, you know what? I've always been robbed for these folks. They about to get the gospel today. I was like, the worst you can do is fire me at this point. Now, I'm not telling you follow my example. I'm just telling you what I felt led to do by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Your job ain't like this. Don't say pastor told you to do whatever, man. And I remember I sent out a whole email, and I, I chronicle everything that happened, and I say, look, if you are not right with the Lord Jesus Christ, you better get right. Why do I share that? It's because the, the situations and circumstances we walk through should make us more gospel-focused and centered. We go to the Word of God. Here's my second point. My last point. My second point. Take hold of the Word and proclaim the Word. What does the Scripture tell us here? It tells us, look, we put on this helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If the helmet we wear in battle protects our mind and keeps us secure in Christ, as we focus on our salvation, then the sword is our offensive weapon. It's that which we use to attack the onslaught of the evil one. There's a one weapon that the Roman soldier carried with them at all times, and it was their short sword. One commentator remarked, the soldiers were handed their helmet and their sword just as we were given salvation and the word of God. The sword was the Roman short sword 
It's only used for direct hand-to-hand combat. We see the same common weapon that when Peter cut off the ear of Malchias, right? You remember that story when the, the soldiers are coming to collect Jesus, and then Peter takes out his sword. It wasn't a, a long sword, it was a short sword. He cuts off his ear, and Jesus puts the ear back on the servant. Why well, we see this was a common weapon to be used to protect in hand-to-hand combat against the enemy, the Apostle Paul says it is a likened to the sword of the Spirit. We could say it's a sword given by the Spirit. What a powerful picture for the believer that we need the Word and the Spirit. The Word of God inspired and God-breathed. In the attack of the principalities and the powers and the rulers of this dark age, we have a weapon against the onslaught of darkness. It's the truth of the Word of God. So Paul here uses this word, rhema. Pretty sure you've heard that word before. Maybe if you've been around Christianity for a while, this whole idea of rhema. We don't have to make anything more than what it is. This is the spoken word. This is speaking the word. This is what rhema means there. It's the proclamation of the truth of God's word. Speaking the word and the power of the spirit. Now again, it's not your word. It's God's word. Right, it's proclaiming the Logos. It's kind of, they really too go uh, kind of hand in hand, this Rhema Logos kind of picture here. The word given to us is God breathed. It's alive. It's full of power and it transforms hearts and lives. Why? Well, because God the Holy Spirit has breathed life into the word. So we have God's word. It's alive. It's living. It's active. And so when people say they, they need a, a rhema word or they've received a rhema word, we've got to be careful not to conflate a lot of things here. Right? We have to be careful that we're not taking away from the truth of God's word, his written, infallible word that he's given us. We need to know uh, what God wants from us and how we find this in the word of God. We go to the Bible. We go to the word of God. So, here's the thing. When we need to know something that God wants from us, and the Bible is silent on it, for example, you may say, well, pastor, the the Bible itself is not going to tell me, should I take this job A or job B? You're right. It's not going to tell you whether to work at TJ Maxx or Chick-fil-A. You're right. But what you can do, though, is go to the Word and find the biblical principles that help you make right decisions. So, we go to the Word. And we find out, okay, God, how have you called us to live? What is the word saying? Says, remember, the word of God is for us, for our faith, our life, our practice. And we go to the word of God, and we read the word, and then we apply that which we've learned to our lives. You make a decision. You trust God in it. So we see this reality. We're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, following the word of the Lord. So how do we know Paul is referring to the proclamation of the word and the power of the spirit? Well, we can look at the following verses. Ephesians 6, 19, it says this. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, look, I have the sword of the spirit. We have the sword of the spirit. And what is the purpose of it? So that we can continually proclaim the gospel. So we have the word, we know what God wants, and we're proclaiming it to others. We're standing on it. When Satan came to test Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus stood and wielded the weapon that he calls us to wield as well. He stood on the word of God. He proclaimed the word of God. 
Yet notice the difference between Satan and Jesus. Do you realize, my brothers and sisters, that Satan quotes out the same Bible that we do? Satan quotes the Bible and knows the Bible. The only difference is that he twists the Bible. I'm going to make a real strong statement here. Men who stand in a pulpit and eisegete the scripture, meaning they, they, they make it say what they want it to say. They don't exegete the text, meaning you're pulling out what the text says. Men who stand in a pulpit and eisegete a text for their own selfish ambition and for their own power trips are of their father, the devil. Some of our favorite Bible teachers, you don't even know. You know how you know? When you get under solid, robust biblical teaching, and then you're going to hear somebody else who eisegetes the text, you can tell the difference. When you sit under robust biblical teaching that you're like, I want more. I, I need more of that. It's like when you go to somebody who eisegetes the text, and they, you know what they do? They open up the Bible, and they don't even talk about what it's saying there. And they make up all kind of stuff. It's like coming from a desert to an oasis. I pray you feel like you're an oasis when you come here. That is, it's an overwhelming of, wow, this is good. I want to be nourished by this. No, Satan twists the word. We're called to rightly divide the word just as Jesus did because Hebrews 4.12 tells us why. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You notice that the word of God is sharp. It pierces us, changes us, convicts us. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit uses the word to transform us. As one commentator said, the physical sword wounds and to hurt and kill, while the sword of the spirit wounds to heal and give life. Why is the word so powerful? Well, faith in Christ comes from hearing the word of God. Faith in Christ comes from hearing the word of God. You know how uh, people use that quote and they say, you know, uh, I think it's like preach the gospel, use words when necessary. Is that how it goes? I can't remember. I don't know. Is that, is that how it goes? That's straight trash. How in the world use words when necessary? What are you talking about? Nobody's going to get saved just by seeing your life. Now, that's a part of it. Sure, people should see you living out the life of Christ. Yes. But people are saved through the preaching and proclamation of the word of God. We got to be careful, especially in this millennial generation. Let's just go out and do a lot of good works. Good, that's awesome. We should do that. But if you're just going out and feeding the poor, and if you're just going out and handing out a lot of good things, you might as well be another civic organization. The church is not some just civic organization. We are the kingdom of God. 
And when we go out to do the works that God has called us to do, the good works from the foundation of the world, it is so that we can proclaim the unchanging message of the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. There should be things we do that another organization would not feel comfortable in partnering with us in. Why? Because they should already know. We already know. When they go out, I know they're going to hand out this food, but we already know the next thing, they're going to be preaching Jesus. Yeah, the same thing's exactly right. But you know what? Most organizations, they want to partner with churches. Why? Because a lot of times, guess what? We're doing a lot of good works, but the gospel is not coming along with it. We need to have both happening. So in a spiritual battle, God has given us spiritual weapons. It's by faith we stand on the word of God against the onslaught against the evil one. And the reason why many Christians are swept away by false teaching, conspiracy theories, and just every onslaught by the evil one, they have traded the sword for a feather. They brought a lie to stand on. They utilize and actually live out, instead of living out the actual teaching of the Bible, they live out some other things. Understand, there's not one class of Christians. Like, there's not the Christians that stand on the word and the Christians that do not. No, Christians stand on the word. That's what we do. We're people of the book. We've always been, always will be. How do we know this? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Some of us, we, we are waging war against people in the flesh. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to see how, I'm going to show you how intelligent I am. I'm going to show you how much I know. I, I may cuss you out a little bit to get my point across. Yeah, that's not a good gospel witness. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but listen to this, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey My brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you want to know, number one, in your personal life, what you should be doing, you should be applying the word of God to your thought process, taking captive thoughts that are not lining up with Christ. So if you have thoughts and you have ideologies and different things, if it doesn't line up with Christ, then guess what you do? You bring it to the word of God and you allow the word to demolish it. What we do here, and when we get together and we preach and we teach and we do these things, we're seeking to demolish strongholds of the evil one. Because why? Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. How we set free? We're set free through the power of the Spirit. We're set free through the power of the Word of God. And how does this apply to us? Well, look, we can spend time in the Word. Spend time in the Word. Blessed is the man. Blessed. That means happy. Happy is the man who delights in the Word both day and night. Spend time in the Word. 
Not only just spending time in the Word, actually meditate on the Word. Now, I know meditation sometimes, you hear that, and the first thing you think is like, um, um, you know. No, that's not what we're talking about here. You ever seen a cow before? Us city folks would be like, cows, what is that? Like, that's that Whole Foods, you get their milk, right? A cow chews the cud, right? Goes down to the stomach, comes back up. Goes down to the stomach, comes back up. Are you ruminating on the word like that? Maybe for some of us, it's one passage you need to read, and we're just sitting there, just allowing God to just ruminate in our hearts the truth of what we read. And we're just marinating on that, and then we're seeking to live it out as well. Meditating on the word. Pause, but you got to pause long enough to do that. So get in the Word. We meditate on the Word, but then guess what? We live out the Word. That means living it out in our daily life. You know, I have a situation I'm facing right now, and I, it got me so down, and it, it was like, oh, man, it's just so much going on. And, and then, then I preached to y'all last week about turning directly to the Lord in faith, and then I got down about this thing the other day, and then... I paused and I went to the Lord in prayer and just an impression of my heart is like, have you gone to the Word? I'm like, no, I ain't even opened up the Bible. I'm just, I'm just mad about this. I'm upset. I'm like, I don't like it. But the Spirit of God leading us to the Word. Why? We may find peace and hope and joy and wisdom and allowing the, the Word of God to saturate our hearts and give us direction where we need to go. We need to fight with the word. We need to fight with the word. Now, this is not me saying we're, you know, bashing people with the Bible or we're hitting people over the head. No, we're, we're not. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. And I've seen this happen, especially in apologetics. A lot of times you're talking to somebody, they're of another faith or something like that, and you're sharing the gospel with them. And they, they instantly want to say something like this. Well, Prove everything you're saying without the Bible. So wait, we're, if we're talking about math, you wouldn't tell me to put away a math book. You wouldn't tell me to put away biology, although today they would tell you to put away a biology book because they don't believe it anyway. I'm not putting away my sword for you. Because this is what's going to cut and slice down your heart. This is what's going to pierce you to the point to where the Holy Spirit, the God, the Holy Spirit, convicts of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. So if I put away the sword, guess what I'm left with? I'm left with vain philosophies and imaginations and all these things. No, I'm standing on the Word of God. Because I don't have a feather. I have a sharp, double-edged sword that my king is coming back with that protrudes out of his mouth and every word is going to be spoken because his word is spoken and does not return void but accomplishes everything it sets out to do my brothers and sisters in the Lord if you want to know what you should be doing in this moment get in the word stand on the word live on the word and fight with the word when you're hopeless fight with the word when the enemy is attacking you with all the lies, fight with the word. 
When the world is coming at you and your family, fight with the word. When the devil's coming at you and your marriage, fight with the word. Use the word as it's been intended. How do we live and apply this? Well, I want you to wrestle with these questions and then we'll close in prayer. One, do you need assurance in your salvation and the finished work of Christ? Sadly, many of us have a relationship with God where it's like this. He loves me, he loves me not. I'm saved, I'm not saved. I'm saved, I'm not saved. I'm saved. You don't have to keep pulling off the petals off the flowers. You can rest in the finished work of Christ alone. What about this? When was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? We talk to ourselves a lot. But the one thing we need to be preached to ourselves the most is the gospel. When you're feeling up, when you're feeling down, when things are going good, when things are going bad, preaching the gospel over and over, what Jesus has done, the finished work of Christ. I'm resting in him. He is enough. What about this one? Are there lies Satan has told you that you need to demolish with the word of God? Are there lies you're believing and have believed about yourself, about your life, about God that you need to demolish with the word of God? God wants you to be free. And what about this one? Do you truly believe the word of God is powerful and will you proclaim it? Will you proclaim it? I guarantee you some of us are going to have conversations this week where people are going to come up and they're going to talk about something crazy. And you're going to sit there and be like, I really don't want to talk to this crazy person. They already owe me $15 and they ain't paying my money. But what if in the midst of that, God the Holy Spirit is orchestrating a moment for you to proclaim the word? It's kind of put in there about Jesus. Proclaim Christ. And allow God to do the work. Trust him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.